thank you for joining us for this next year turnaround restructuring and insolvency podcast series. We'll be exploring global issues that affect the world economy. I'm your host, Rebecca Harding, and I'll be joined by a selection of experts from around the world in firms that are all part of the Nexia International Network, and all of whom are leaders in turnaround, restructuring and insolvency. Nexia International is a leading global network of independent accounting and consulting firms. All of the experts appearing on this show can be contacted via the Nexia International website. Thank you. Hello and welcome to today's next year turnaround restructuring and insolvency podcast. Cryptocurrency is an area where many people are not sure of their ground. It's riddled with jargon and it appears to be the domain of the tech savvy. However, the likelihood of encountering cryptocurrencies during an insolvency is growing and we need to be clear about how to deal with them and what to look out for. Even when you are financially restructuring a business, options around cryptocurrencies may well need to be considered. In order to get a grip on these issues and to understand how to tackle them, I'm joined by two experts. Vincenzo Toppi, who is a partner in restructuring and dispute resolutions at Cone Resnick, and John Wilson, who was formerly president of Forensics and is now Chief Information Security Officer at Haystack ID. Both are based in the US. In this first podcast, we take an in-depth look at what cryptocurrencies are and how they work. But also keep a look out for our next podcast on this topic, where we will go through how to tackle an insolvency which involves cryptocurrencies. So hello, guys. Hi, Vinny. Hi, John. How are you? Doing well. Good morning. Morning, Rebecca. How are you? Oh, good, thanks. Great to see you both. So cryptocurrencies. Now, as you know, I, this was not my specialist area, so talking to you is a real benefit for me as well. So can you explain for everybody and for me, how do they work and, and what's it all about? Sure, uh, Rebecca. I, I think, you know, whenever I start talking about cryptocurrencies and digital assets, I, I just take a step back and, and make sure everybody understands blockchain, right? Because blockchain is the technology that they're built on. And you have to think of blockchain as a digital ledger. So think about walking into uh, Chase Bank, uh, you know, your local bank branch and depositing funds into your account. Right. Well, somebody then, you know, within minutes could walk into a Chase Bank in Tokyo and access your account and see that your account just received that deposit. Right. So that electronic ledger is being shared between Chase Bank branches. Well, the blockchain ledger is being shared amongst everyone in the public. Anyone who has access and has downloaded the software can see what is going on on the blockchain and transact on the blockchain. Um, and and there are different blockchains, right? We've all heard about Bitcoin, which is the largest cryptocurrency, but there, there are other blockchains out there and there are private blockchains, depending on what you're trading and, and, and what asset you're working with. So the, the underlying... It, uh, software, you know, let's call it, is is a electronic ledger um, that is being used even now today for uh, other capabilities, such as electronic contracts, or they're called smart contracts, right. where the components of a contract are written into the the software, and as pieces of the contract are um, uh, satisfied, it moves on to the next piece. Uh, and you see that is going to be something that is going to 
um, you know, take over the business world. I mean, it's you, you see it in logistics now. You see it in uh, food distribution. Um, and now, you know, they're talking about right. about uh, expanding it to real estate transactions. So that's that's what the ledger is all about. Hey, so does that mean that people can see what everybody's got? You know, if you go onto that ledger, can you can you see it all? Can you see what I've got if I've got cryptocurrency? Well, so it's not that people can see. So it is there. It's visible and everybody can see what's there, but it is pseudonymous or anonymous right. in some instances. So there's like a serialization. So you, it's not like, hey, John Doe owns a bun- this, this amount of Bitcoin and spent it here and sent this much, received this much. It's you know, this crypto hash key and it's this long string of characters and that's what identifies the individual. And then in some instances that hash key may change every transaction and the 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 blockchain itself is tracking how those relate. Or, you know, there, there's other complicated schemes as well that uh, do that. So, you know, you do have like what, what are called privacy coins and privacy currencies that are, you know, really obfuscating it. So it's very difficult to tell who has what or how much. Um, then you have like Bitcoin where it is it is a public ledger. And if I know your address, I can actually figure out, hey, how much coin have you spent? how much have you received and how much do you still have and over what period of time everything that's occurred because it is an immutable public ledger so that that ledger is there it's open to anybody that's participating in the network they can download it they can see it they can look at it yeah that could be bad going down the pub you don't want me to see how much you got before <laughs> the round gets in do you? so so does it I mean, how how does it work? Is it just like digital money? So you can move it from one account to another? Or is it because I, I, somebody told me that it's more like cash as well, that you can actually put it onto hardware and move it in that way? Is that right? Yeah, again, the uh, so the, the, the blockchain itself, the ledger itself tracks the address, you can put it onto what are called like hardware wallets that are not don't stay connected to the network and put it in a safe and you know, the only way to access it is to reconnect to that network so that the 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 wallet can talk to the network and then the you, you authenticate you provide your private key for the wallet yeah you know and whatever blockchain it is has you know different kind of structures but uh you know you have to have that public address to your wallet and you have to have that private key which proves your ownership and is the only thing that proves ownership so it's like having it in your hand if you have the private key it's like you've got cash in your hand and i can bury it in the sand i can put it in the bank or i can do whatever i want (laughs) go take off and and rebecca think about that private hardware wallet like a safety deposit box in the bank, right? If yeah. if I have it in a public ledger and going back to my Chase example, right? You know that I have cash in a Chase account or you know that I have ca- uh, I have digital currencies in this public wallet, okay? Yeah. But the minute I move it to that that hardware wallet, it's like moving it to a safety deposit box that you know you need the special key to get into that box and no one knows what's in that box until you you can open it with that key. 
Yeah, so it's it's really secret and no... So people can really just walk off with that money, can't they? They can just put it onto a USB stick and they're gone, aren't they? Is yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly correct. Yeah, they can transfer all of it into there. And, you know, again, a, a little brick that's, uh, you know, looks no bigger than a, a flash drive uh, can be holding, you know, $10 just as easily as it could be holding... 50 million yeah i think we've got the grounds for a book here haven't we or some kind of thriller movie <laughs> i can feel it coming on <laughs> so the different types of currencies because i think i was confused about this as well because i i didn't really understand that bitcoin was a type of currency so uh, with all the different types of currencies how do you choose one or do you choose several and, and how how are they valued against each other well there, there there's different currencies but there's different digital assets so you know Digital currencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, that's that's one category. Um, you know, something that's taken the market by storm in the last year, NFTs, uh, which is let's call it digital art or digital baseball cards and trading cards, right? But they're they're still um, currencies or assets that are traded on the blockchain. Okay, um, and, and it really comes down to you know what what is your intended use. Um, you know, you may be an investor, you may be a fat investor who's, you know, just looking at the, the latest and greatest uh, digital currency that's, that's, uh, that's, that's popular right now. I was looking um, for advice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I got 20 um, quid. <laughs> so, so it comes down to what's your purpose. And, and, and I think, you know, that's what, um, you know, there, there's also a difference between uh, personal, uh, what an individual maybe want to use it for versus what a what a business may use it for. So, I mean, John, is there anything you, the way it's valued, is there any advice that you can give to people on looking at different currencies? Yeah, I mean, so again, uh, you, you've got kind of uh, several buckets of, you know, what they may be. You've got uh, like Bitcoin and Ethereum. They're, they're Really, their only value is derived from the trust the people on the network have of the coin, and so the, its value. That's why their values are so volatile. Uh, you know, if, if I believe in Bitcoin, I can go out and I can buy it, and if I think it's worth thirty-eight thousand dollars today, I can go buy one Bitcoin for thirty-eight thousand dollars. Is people in the network are willing to do that transaction? That price can go up. It can also go down, and that's where you see these wild fluctuations. You also have things called like stable coins, like Bitcoin Cash, where they're uh, actually pegged to a, you know, a, they're tethered or pegged to a currency. So you have a, a fiat currency that's actually backing the coin, and that's what provides or or marks its value. So you you know th there are all types of different assets, and then you also have to realize there's you know the the, the private blockchain coins and stuff so like financial institutions may have their own private coin within the bank so that they can deal with international transactions and move money instantly from the u.s to other locations through that their own private ledger uh their own private cryptocurrency that only the bank controls and has access to. So the bank says, hey, if you know the Europe branch wants to exchange some money with the US branch, they just 
go in, they do this little transaction, and that's the tracking. It's the ledger. It's a quicker, easier way for the organization to move its money from one location to another. Right. So so when I've got my advice off Finney after this, we've done this podcast and he tells me where to invest my money. Um, do I go to a broker? Do I go to a platform? Where, where do I go to, to set up my account? Well, you, you don't want to go to the guy in the corner. That's that's what you don't <laughs> want to do, right? So, <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, look, there's there's a lot of, you know, what I'd call now uh, commercial wallets, uh, you know, Coinbase. I'm not supporting any specific wallet, but that's one of the popular ones. Uh, some banks have platforms now. Uh, securities firms like Robinhood now allows you to trade crypto. So it, it again, it comes down to what is your intended use? Right. Um, what's the frequency of the, the transactions that you're going to be making? Um, and what type of reporting and monitoring do you want to make sure that's in place? Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's simple to, for me, example, I, I have a Coinbase wallet. Um, I can access Coinbase through my phone. I can access it through any computer connected to the internet. I can go on and transact. I can check what the digital currency market is doing. Um, so it just depends on, you know, do you want the ease of something like that? Or do you want a, a hardware wallet where you're going to move a couple million dollars, uh, you know, flee the country and, 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 uh, and, and live the rest of your life in, in some, under some palm tree. So well, li- living with two teenage girls, it is always a temptation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and- you know, just to add to to that is the understanding of, you know, there are some very principal differences like Coinbase. You have a wallet, you, you, you have direct access, you have your private key. It is like cash. Um, when you have cryptocurrencies at places like a Robinhood or a Fidelity or, you know, any of the like brokerage firms that are allowing you to trade cryptocurrencies, you don't have direct cryptocurrency asset you have that as an asset in your portfolio but it's not like you have the keys that are on the blockchain ledger like that's actually held by the brokerage firm so there's differences in you know how they actually have the access to their currency now you do have things like Robinhood just introduced their, in beta their own wallet so that you can actually access your coins um so it's it's a really rapidly ever evolving uh, marketplace. So yeah, it's still very new, isn't it? And it's still it, it is. It's really it's quickly. it's in its infancy for yeah, sure. Absolutely. So taxation then. I mean, if it's in its infancy, how are the tax authorities coping with all this? Because <laughs> that must be quite difficult. Do they tax it? Do they even know it's there? What's going on? Well, I, I, I would think you need to just talk about regulatory bodies in general, right? Because taxing is only one piece of it. Um, I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know, depositing funds in a bank here in the United States has certain protections. Opening up a brokerage account, the brokerage firms are subject to certain rules and regulations. Um, Nothing really exists because for, for cryptocurrencies, because who are you regulating? Right. I mean, there's no there's not one institution. There's not one body that you're you're trying to regulate. It's everybody who is transacting on the blockchain and it's it's all public. So, you know, in the United States, um, crypto assets are looked at as property. 
they're not securities, they're not currency, uh, and the taxing authority, um, you know, says that every time you transact on a digital asset, that's a reportable transaction. Not necessarily leads to tax, but it is a reportable transaction. Right. So I buy Bitcoin and then convert that to Ethereum and then purchase Bitcoin. You know, each one of those is a transaction that needs to be reported. Yeah. Right. So, so you've basically got no regulation um, for this sort of really a, because it's so difficult and it's so young and it's so it's changing and nobody can really track it down. So why would business use it? Doesn't it sound quite dangerous for business to use? What would be the advantages? Well, it's, you know, there's there's advantages, there's disadvantages, and there's a lot of um, mileage in between because, you, <laughs> you know, you, you've got the legitimate business uses, you know, hey, I've got customers that it's easier to reach. They want to use their digital currency. They want an instant transaction. They want low transaction fees and quick control. So uh, a music festival, for instance, might use a cryptocurrency for payments for all of the vended activities at their location because it's much easier. The fees are much lower than traditional credit cards. Um, The transactions are much easier a lot of things of, of that nature occur. Now, it's also a lot of dark web activity. There's a lot of, you know, people doing nefarious things with their cryptocurrencies. And, you know, uh, there's all these scams about, hey, you know, transfer your cryptocurrencies to me. I'm going to lend it out for you and I'm going to pay you a thousand percent interest, you know, or, or you know, I'm going to pay you three of those a day. Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to give you 20% interest a day, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, and you know your mileage may vary with those. Uh, they they're pretty much all. And anybody that's promising those super high returns generally is just a scam. And uh, a lot of them are you know multi tiered scams where they're getting coins and then you refer people in and they're giving coins and yeah you know so it looks like you're getting some profits for a while and it dries up. But uh, well, John, in my world, you know, I'm a forensic accountant. That's called a Ponzi scheme. So there is. <laughs> You know, yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but there's a lot of that out there. <laughs> but 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 Rebecca, you know, to go back to your question, the the, you know, let's talk about stable coins for a second, right? If if I'm an organization that transacts around the world, and you know, I don't want to a deal with foreign currency translation and multiple markets or deal with foreign currency fluctuations in multiple markets, why don't I use, you know, Bitcoin Cash, right? It's pegged to the U.S. dollar. The fluctuation is not that great, but it allows me to transact securely, digitally, and instantly across the globe, right? That's one of the reasons why they may right. use it. Um, and, and then blockchain, you know, as I started uh, as I started out by, by saying, you know, blockchain really is the technology. So logistics, right, to be able to track the movement of your products, your goods, you know, is it, where is that container that I'm shipping? Where, you know, where are the products at the end of the day? Um, blockchain can help you with all of that. Right. And it can probably do a lot of cost savings, I would think, for you as a business as well, really, is in, in terms of financially, it must be a lot cheaper to work like that than having to track everything manually. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, you know, so yeah, it is. It, the, the transactions are much cheaper. They're they're much faster than traditional banking and things of that nature. But then you can also look at things like the logistics side of this, like Vinny was just talking about. And they do really some interesting things like some of the uh, 
poultry uh, producers uh, are now using it to track from egg, you know, at the hen to all the way to walking out the grocery cart in the grocery store. And they know, you know, exactly what hen the egg came from. Then they know what bin it was put in to get transported to the distribution center. Then what temperature it was stored at. Like they have all that information automatically going into these logistics blockchains so that I can know, hey, yeah, there was no temperature variations for this egg as it Amazing. went through the entire process, got all the way to the grocery store, was then delivered to John Doe as the customer at the grocery, and they walked out with it in their basket. And so, you know, when when something occurs like, a, you know, a, a disease outbreak related to something, you know, they can track it, you know, okay, yeah, that came from this particular location and this particular set of hens and this particular hen house and unwind it to you know an incredible detail and and, you know whereas years ago it was okay well all the chickens from that farm all the eggs that came from that farm yeah now have to be recalled because we had one we don't know exactly where it came from we know that it was from this farm but i mean it's absolutely amazing that you can do that with a chicken's egg and trace it all that way but i mean in case of an insolvency obviously there's a lot of tracing to be done in that and you're you're looking at um, you know where funds are going. Whatever. How do how do people go into an insolvency situation and start to look for cryptocurrencies? What are they going to do going in? What are the issues they're going to face? Well, let's let's start with the easy stuff, right? I mean, if you're you know one of those businesses that we discussed a couple of minutes ago that is using digital currencies to transact because it's easier, it's safer, and all those different geographic locations, they're going to have a wallet or a series of wallets, depending on what currencies they're using. They're going to have systems and records in place. Um, And so, you know, when you walk into that situation, you're going to be able to, you know, look at books and records, see um, uh, statements, uh, run across statements that have all this information on it. Um, You know, the harder part is when, you know, an insider decides to throw a couple million dollars in digital currencies onto that hardware wallet and 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 flee the country right that's like uh mm. you know the the, the old-fashioned way of taking a briefcase and filling it up with yeah. stacks, <laughs> stacks of bills stacks of bills and running out right so um you know there there's there's a lot of signs uh again this is electronic transactions right so this is where john and i come in with some of our forensic uh tools and our capabilities to understand you know what was used how was it used uh but but it is it's it's searching for those clues those little crumbs i gotta tell you you know they did use digital currencies here's with the signs and how do we how do we trace it uh but i think john can can take a little deeper dive into that yeah well i mean you know a lot of it goes to you know hey is this a business that you know you're aware was transacting in cryptocurrencies, or was this a business where they were, you know, that was a function of their business, or is this a business where like a, a Tesla, for instance, you know, has a bunch of Bitcoin because they they're going to eventually take payments in Bitcoin? Um, that's you know, a big difference in, you know, the, the uh, investigative approach when you're talking about the insolvency, because, you know, the one business is like, yeah, we use 
cryptocurrency. That's how we do all our international transactions. It's pretty open. You're, you're pretty aware it's there. Where it gets more complicated is the businesses. You know, hey, we we bought some Bitcoin to hedge against cash or to have some digital currency available in the event we needed it for ransomware or whatever. And then that's where there's a lot more risk because like, it's not necessarily a main function of the business. And so then that's where you've got to do these forensic processes and you're looking, you know, Hey, is there an existence of hardware wallets having been presented on the systems? Is there existence of software wallet software? Um, You know, do they have, you know, web wallets that are, you know, brokerage accounts that are holding the cryptocurrencies who has the keys to those because that's where you know again it's like cash that bad actor in the business could be like sitting at home and going into the wallet and transferring that currency out if if there's a web wallet or a software wallet where they have the recovery keys and the access yeah so it's actually quite hard then to track it down i mean it sounds like quite a difficult process if you find that it's been money's been moved out yeah the, it it is again you know the blockchains or the majority of the blockchains are pseudonymous so you know again you all you have is that serialization and there's ways to generate new keys for each transaction. And so it becomes very difficult to follow those currencies. And then there's, you know, when you start moving into the more nefarious activities, then there's actually tools that make it much more difficult, like tumblers or spinners, where they put their transaction into these tumblers or spinners, and they're automatically generating hundreds or even thousands of transactions, spitting it out into little, you know, trivial amounts. And, then it goes into another series of spinner transactions and another series of spinner transactions before they actually start to bring it all back together. But then you're talking about trying to unwind and trace, you know, thousands and thousands of transactions. And that can become very difficult to unwind and figure out where did the money go? Who has access to it now? If everything's anonymous or it's quite hard, to, unless you know who owns that string of numbers on the, the wallet, how do you identify the accounts that they've gone, that it's gone into? Yeah, I mean, you know, so again, uh, it's it's that traditional forensic investigation or, you know, investigation, investigative type activity. You know, we do use forensic software suites that... Uh, you know, right. do build some attribution. So as the transactions occur, as you, as you as a actor in the business, you know, you go out and your business website says, you know, hey, if you'd like to buy products, here's our wallet, you know, or if you'd like to make a donation to this charitable organization, here's our wallet, just, you know, transfer to this location. Yeah. And so then that's published. I now know, you know, that company xyz or acme company owns this address and so these softwares as we do these analysis build starts building this attribution i know that this wallet belongs to this individual or in the case of bad actors you know you have people posting on the like you get the ransomware and the ransomware says hey you know pay me ransomware to this address or you're not going to get your files back or I'm going to publish your files or whatever. And and that's what gives the opportunity for us to start building that attribution. We now know that, you know, ransomware player X 
uses this crypto address. And so now I can build that attribution. So then when you're starting to dig through things, you can start seeing, oh, the money's going to this individual because I've built that attribution and I have an understanding of who's using that address. Yeah. So you need the software to do it, don't you? I've got visions of the two of you sitting there trying to work it out on bits of paper. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah. when, when I started my first investigations uh, nine years ago, uh, you know, these softwares didn't exist and you had to build that attribution manually. So it was like, okay, wow. let me see what I can find. And okay, I, I see this individual use this address. And so I, I start tracking it that way. Uh, but you know, especially now with like the tumblers and the spinners we're talking about, you know, there can be literally, uh, you know, one of the cases I worked, we had 727 transactions over a 30 day period to try to keep the money moving and obfuscate where the money went. And, you know, I had to manually unwind all of that. You know, now it's much easier uh, with the softwares, but you also have to realize it's much more complicated. These, like the tumblers, these automated softwares that the bad actors use can do thousands and thousands of transactions. And, and again, the whole purpose of these cryptocurrency and blockchain systems is, you know, instant or near instant type transactions. They happen very quickly and they're very easy to do. So, that lends itself to, you know, hey, now I can do hundreds of transactions and thousands of transactions to to keep the money moving and hidden so that people can't understand where the money went. Yeah, I'm taking notes here, actually, John. (laughs) (laughs) Just keeping detailed notes. (laughs) So, Vinny, I mean, if you have a business that was, um, and you were helping, or you had a client who's business and they wanted to restructure financially, and they were looking at um, using cryptocurrencies for the reasons that we discussed before, what what would you say to them with the advantages or the problems that they might encounter in sort of putting that process in place to use it within the business? Sure. And, and again, I think they need to first figure out what they want to use it for, right? Do they, do they want to use it for, um, you know, receipts from customers? Do they want to use it to, um, you know, pay vendors along the supply chain internationally? And what are those, what type of currency are they going to um, use and accept? Because that's going to tell you what kind of wallet you need to set up and, uh, you know, what kind of back office support you need to have. But but then it's, you know, nothing more than transacting and, and record keeping like, uh, you know, transacting with cash, right? You need to put a system of controls in place. Who's going to have the right. keys to the corporate wallet? Who's going to be able to transact on a corporate wallet? The guy with the briefcase, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then once those transactions occur, you know, most accounting systems right now don't have a Bitcoin or crypto uh, component built in, right? Most most systems allow you to cut a check and that's about it. So you need to, um, you know, you need to take that ledger information and then uh, record that within your general ledger and within your books and records. You know, if you're receiving Bitcoin from your customers, you need to apply the payment to each of those customer accounts. Um, so there's a little bit of different policies, procedures on, you know, your, yeah. your bookkeeping side that you need to put in place as well. Um, but, but then after that, again, legitimate businesses, you know, everybody, if we're talking about legitimate businesses, everybody's just trying to solve for an issue. And it, it's one of the greatest tools they could probably use. 
Yeah. So, uh, but if we were talking earlier about sort of fluctuations in value as well, how 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 does that work for a business? Because obviously, you know, if they're trying to use it with their customers, it's going up and down. And can they buy? Can they not buy? You know, how does it work? I'm, I'm struggling to get my head around all this, Vinny. <laughs> so. So just think about about it as foreign currency, right? Yeah. If you're accepting foreign currency, you have to worry about the fluctuation. You have to worry about the 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 FX FX exchange, right? So if yeah. you're if you're accepting Bitcoin, um, right, and you're selling something for thirty thousand dollars, right? Right now, you're you're someone's gonna going to send you less than one Bitcoin, right? Because because the transactions are in decimals, right? You're not you're not transacting in full digital coins, right? Um, so you receive, you know, 0.7 Bitcoin today. The question is, what are you going to do when you receive that 0.7 Bitcoin? Are you going to automatically take that and convert it to cash so you minimize the volatility, or do you transact in Bitcoin out to your vendors so you're going to keep some Bitcoin in your wallet so you can then send Bitcoin out to your vendors? And that's where the volatility starts to come into play and the price fluctuations come into play. But if you're using one of the stable coins, like a Bitcoin cash, then you reduce that volatility risk because you're using something that is pegged to a fiat currency, something that the volatility is much less. Right. So I just fill one more thing in for me. It's a word that I've heard a lot and not really understood, and that's mining. They talk about mining. What, what's that all about, John? Yeah, so mining is the how bitcoins or the the cryptocurrencies, the digital assets are created. The mining is the process of uh, solving the math problem related to validating the last set of transactions, and that's why it's called a blockchain. Is transactions are put into a block, and then the blocks continue to build. and In order to validate the entire blockchain, the the the, the math formula has to you know, still work for each pre previous block. If you go back and alter anything, that's where, you know, the blocks no longer validate. And so um, the mining is the process of solving for that math problem. And that's what creates the new coin. So like in Bitcoin, every time a block is solved, there's a reward of a certain amount of Bitcoin and that Bitcoin amount gets halved every regular periods until all of the Bitcoin will be mined um, in, you know, uh, it's several years uh, for a total of 21 million Bitcoin. Um, but it's it, it is that math problem, and and so they they get the the miners for doing the work to solve that math problem, and it's a very complex math problem. It requires very intensive computing power, and you know. Uh, resources and so their reward for doing that effort is the new created coin and the transaction fees from that particular block so those transaction fees Vinny, do they then affect the business as though from the mining well so the, the transaction fees that, that john is talking about is those fees when the coins are created but those are passed on to the user in in those fractions and and they're on top of what um you know the bitcoin changing hands is so think of it just like a credit card fee right i mean if you're going to accept if you're going to accept a credit card you're paying 2 to 3 to 4% depending on on the card that you you're accepting um in additional fees um so it's all part of the process and it's all part of that decision tree of 
what currencies am I accepting and 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 how? Because you know the currencies themselves have different fee structures um, uh, depending on what digital currency you're accepting. That, that is so helpful. Thank you so much, guys. I, I really enjoyed this and I found it hugely helpful. I think it's the best explanation that I've ever had of, of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. So is there any last tips you'd like to give anybody else out there who's facing, say, an insolvency that's involving cryptocurrencies? Yeah, I mean, so, when, you know, I think probably my biggest comment is when, you know, it's pretty easy when you have a business that you know, is intentionally dealing with cryptocurrencies. It's pretty easy to know that they're going to, they have cryptocurrencies and, you know, gain an understanding of, you know, what wallets they might have. And that sort of stuff is generally, you know, unless you have a bad actor in the organization is generally pretty clear and concise where it gets more interesting. And, you know, the, the, the concern, like when you're talking about a restructuring or, you know, a, an acquisition type scenario you know if a business has crypto assets and it's not really a main function of the business maybe they were just keeping a reserve pool of cryptocurrencies in case they had been ransomwared um, or things of that nature that's where it gets a lot more complicated because you may not realize the business has the digital assets and that's where you've got to do that forensic investigation look at the machines and see if crypto crypto wallets exist in the organization you know do they have any kind of crypto activity or evidence of crypto activity in the organization, because the real risk is, again, it's like cash or gold. You could restructure the company or take over the, other, the, the, the prior company. And then the bad guy in accounting can be like, Oh, well, you know, I'm getting fired and uh, I'm just going to transfer these all to my private wallet and, you know, walk out the door. Nobody's going to realize I'm, I just put a you know fifty million dollar card in my pocket because it's you know very small and unnoticeable. <laughs> yeah, no one's going to be looking for it, are they? Not in cardboard boxes you leave. <laughs> so. You know, so that's my big thing is you know understanding you know the a lot of businesses are playing in the cryptocurrency field, whether it's just for protection for in relation to ransomware events or side effects of you know transactional dealings of some nature uh versus you know it's part of their operational business and and those are you know the where you really have to do that investigative look at things yeah that's really great what about you Vinny? any advice well, it, it comes down to planning, right? I mean, you know, over the years, businesses have evolved. You know, we used to go from the 13-column ledger paper to computers, right? Now we're going yeah. to digital to digital currencies. So, you know, when you go into a situation, you know, you need to, you need to have your questions and your checklist up front, right? Um, and, and, you know, as we talked about, there are legitimate uses for cryptocurrency. And if a company is is transacting in cryptocurrency um you know they've at least possibly shown that on a financial statement um or you know in the u.s at least you have to disclose if you're transacting in crypto on your tax return so quickly scan through those two documents and see what disclosures are out there um but if it's a bad actor you know they're hiding their tra their trail they're trying to, to hide stuff so it when when someone goes in in those situations, you know, you're always doing some sort of forensic, some sort of investigation. Um, I, I would add 
you know, to that process, a, a couple of quick, um, you know, crypto type activities. Um, if you're doing an email search and if you're doing a, um, you know, records, electronic record search using computer forensics, most of those, those tools have the ability to at least, you know, identify, are there any traces of dark web activity? Are there any traces of crypto assets? Um, you know, let that, let whoever's running that process for you include those in their, in their parameters, you know, search for those little crumbs. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, thank you so much. I've really appreciated your time today. So, and if anybody wants to get hold of you um, to pick your brains, where they can they find you? Where can they find you, John? Yeah, so, uh, you know, my company, Everybody's Haystack ID and, uh, you know, my email address is jwilson at haystackid.com. Uh, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to answer questions. That's great. And what about you, Vinny? And I'm with Cone Resnick. Uh, again, on, on their website, Vinny or Vincenzo Toppy. Uh, my email is way too long to spell out. So <laughs> yeah. the easiest thing is it's just V Toppy on LinkedIn. So just go out to LinkedIn and connect with me there. That's brilliant. Well, thanks ever so much, guys. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. This podcast was brought to you by the Nexia Turnaround Restructuring and Insolvency Business Group. The group was formed to bring together financial, legal and operational expertise from across the Nexia network to support global clients and international business at times of operational challenges and financial distress. If you want to get in touch with any of our speakers or any of the experts in the 45 firms in 36 countries across the world, then please click the link accompanying this podcast or visit the Nexia website. All views expressed in this podcast are individual opinions and do not constitute professional advice. You're advised to seek professional advice if you want to see how an industry applies to your own situation.